what things were gained to me, Paul said, all those things, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You see, when he became a Christian, he was excommunicated, so to speak. He was shunned from his own people. He was put out of the synagogues. He was put out of the, the, the group of Pharisees that he was a part of. They didn't want anything to do with him anymore once he claimed that he was a follower of Christ. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. Another strong statement. Paul said, when I die and I'm found in Christ, I, I know that my own righteousness will have nothing to do with whether or not I go to heaven. I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, all those things he said before, following the law, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. So there's two kind of righteousnesses there. There is a personal self-righteousness according to the law. And there is the righteousness that comes by faith. Do you have that this morning? Because we all have a certain amount of righteousness. We all do some things right. We're raised to do right, aren't we? We, we find out as we get older, it pays to do right. <laughs> The longer you live, you start to send out ships and sow your wild oats and all those kind of things. And then the ships start to come in when you hit about 30s and early 40s. Your ships come in and you start reaping for what you've sown, you know, and you start to reap a full crop. And you realize, listen, it pays to do right. It surely pays. But listen, all of our righteousnesses are as fil filthy rags, the Bible says. And even if a man does right, he still sins. So Paul says, I don't want to be found in him having my own righteousness, and you don't either. When you go to be with the Lord, when you go to meet the Lord like Donna did, Janice's mom, you want to go having the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness you want. So Paul said, my own righteousness will do nothing to help my case. Verse 10, that I may know him. In the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, Paul says. He knew he wasn't already perfect. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Paul knew that he had not arrived. He was not perfect. He did not reach perfect Christ's likeness. Yet, Paul says, I still go after it. You, you see that? In verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Do you ever wonder what made Paul tick? Do you ever wonder what fueled the Apostle Paul? You ever wonder what his life verse might be? I think it's right here. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. For just a moment, I want to preach a message on run for the prize. 
not going to get heavy into athletics this morning, but what Paul used, this picture here, that he said, I press toward the mark. I know I'm not perfect. I know I will not be in this life, Paul says. But I press toward it. I'm still trying. I'm still pursuing after Christ's likeness because Paul was concerned about the resurrection. One day when, when he either dies and meets the Lord, which we know that he did, or he was looking forward to the Lord's return. And when he saw Christ, he knew that he would be changed and that he would be like Christ. And then he would give an account for his life at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, I want to have a good resurrection. The, the, the New Testament writers, they talk about having a better resurrection. You say, what's that mean? That means that there are rewards that come at the end of this life. You know, <clears throat> my dad... Uh, wasn't real super involved in my life when I was a boy, and I don't say that to dishonor him in any way. He was very hard at work. He worked a lot of times when I was younger, second shift, and my dad was faithful as a worker and faithful as a provider, and he loved us, and we knew it. And we had good times together. There just weren't a whole lot of them. So he wasn't around. If I was involved in baseball, he couldn't be there for the games. If I was involved in FFA or, or uh, you know, 4-H, he couldn't have been there for those things. So I never really heard my dad too often say, good job, son. But I'm not saying anything against him. I just never heard it too much. But you know what? There was a time when, when I was about 14, 15, 16 years old in there, and I got into playing guitar and music because my dad liked to play guitar. He'd always sit on the front porch at the end of a of a long day, like on a Saturday, you know, sweep, uh, raking up all the leaves. We had these big trees all around us, and he'd rake the leaves. I mean, he would just make that thing look spotless and nice and everything, and just get out there with a broom and everything. He was meticulous in the way he took care of his property. But there was a time when I heard him play that guitar, and I started playing guitar for myself. Then I got into bands, and I got into some pretty good country bands, and there was a time when he came to one of our shows, which happened to be at a Halloween party. This is before I was saved. And he heard us play, and he said, Son, you guys sound great. And I lived for that moment. I didn't say much, but you know how good that makes you feel when you, when you hear Dad and Mom say, Wow, I'm impressed. You did a good job. You know what? One of these days... We want to be standing before the Lord and we want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. That's what we're living for. We want to attain unto that resurrection. We want to have a better resurrection, which means in this lifetime, we need to be serving the Lord. All right. We're going to have a word of prayer and get into our message. But I want to imagine, I want you to imagine your life like this. This right here. Is your 70 years. If by reason of strength, the Lord gives you more, praise God. I know the Lord's going to give Randy uh, Presley, I know he's going to give him 20, 30 more years. I hope so, because he's serving him. No, I, don't, I don't know that, but I think he will. But this is your life. Even if you live 80, 90 years, this is your life. This is humanity past, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And into the future, looking at the tribulation, the, the, the millennial kingdom, and then eternity, future, when the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth and repopulates the earth and, repopulate, and populates the, uh, the, uh, the solar system. This is your life. A little piece of paper. 
what you do during these 70, 80, 90 years will either be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ or it will burn up as having been done for self or some other reason other than Christ. So during this lifetime, the purpose of this lifetime is to lay up treasures in heaven, to, to serve the Lord, and to look forward to hearing from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But you know, the Apostle, Paul, or the Apostle John said this, that you can be ashamed at his coming. He said, it is possible to be ashamed at the coming of Christ. And we talk about, oh, I want the Lord to come back. And I believe in the rapture of the church. And I believe it could be just any day now. And with the way things are going in the Middle East with Israel, and the way things are going in America, with America turning away from God's chosen nation, the apple of His eye, and America is is poking God in the apple of His eye. And surely it must be just right around the corner. The Lord's coming back, and we say, I look forward to Him coming back. But I think there might be some of us who might say, well, I hope He kind of delays His coming, because I'm not ready. And if He were to come back right now, I think I might be ashamed of His coming. But you know the good thing about that is, is you can get that settled. If you get it under the blood now in this lifetime, guess what? It's under the blood. It's washed away, it's, it's forgiven, it's cleansed, it will not come up. But then we need to be busy serving the Lord. So let's talk about that for a few minutes now, running for the prize. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for this message. Lord, it speaks to my heart. I think if, if for no other reason this message is for me this morning. But God, I know you have something in your word for each and every one of us. And I pray that this would truly be encouraging and uplifting for us. That, Lord, for a while during this time of preaching and being in your word, Lord, we might think about our lives in light of eternity, that we might think about our own personal relationship with you, our fellowship, and our own service. And God, we thank you for saving us. We don't deserve to be saved. We thank you for your love. We don't deserve your love. We thank you for giving us a chance to serve you. We don't deserve that. And you've given us years to do it. I pray that you'd help us to be like Paul and to make the most of it and really give it our, our all, give it our best. Give it 110%, Lord. Help us to do that in the remaining days that we have. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Notice in verses 12 and 14, Paul said, Neither had I already attained. When he said that, he's using language that comes from the Olympics, the Greek Olympics. And uh, Paul spent time in Ephesus, and in Ephesus... Uh, He had to have seen the Olympics. There was an amphitheater there that could seat 100,000 people. And it must be that in some time in his life, he had watched this and studied the athletes and studied the runners and those that were competing for a prize because he used that language all the time in his teaching. He said, not though as I had already attained or were already perfect or apprehended. That's, That's the language of a runner. And then he says, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. I do what a runner does, forgetting the things which are behind. Either past successes, you can't rest on your laurels or rest on your past successes, or your past failures, or the people behind you that may be gaining on you. I forget those things which are behind. I reach forth, and he's talking about a runner. A runner presses into the race. Folks, I'm afraid that sometimes we, we, we're moving along in our Christian race and sometimes we think, we think I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to maybe sit out of the race. You can't do that. 
Some, sometimes, folks, as Christians, we not only take a break from the race, we fall asleep. The Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame, Paul said. And I think sometimes we're running along in our race and we see the things of the world that, that might distract us, that might allure us, things that are not necessarily bad. I'm not saying that you're involved in some terrible sin or anything like that. But just things in the world that, that, that get us to turn aside and get out of the race. And we need to be careful for that because we're supposed to be, Paul says, it's pressing for the mark, pressing forward. That, that, that picture, do you see the picture that Paul is talking about? This, this race. The pressing that he spoke about in verse 14. Notice that. I press toward the mark. The mark is the finish line. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you were an athlete in the first century, you were among a select few. And to be chosen to be in those races. This was indeed a high calling. But you, brother and sister, and I have a higher calling. That's the calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not just the calling for salvation, but the calling to service. And we are to press toward the mark. What does that word press mean? It means, literally, to bear down. To bear down. You know... uh, with kindergartner uh, students, the teachers are, are trying to teach those kids, maybe pre-K, kindergarten, teach them that, that when you write with a crayon or when you write with a pencil, you need to bear down on that so you make a legible mark, right? And they teach them to work with Play-Doh and stuff like that to strengthen their fingers and their dexterity. They want them to bear down so you can see a mark. We've, we need to bear down so we leave our mark on this world for Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I remember learning how to mop in my lifetime. This is something we can all relate to. And I used to think that you could just put that mop into the water and then bring that out onto the floor and slop water all over the place and just go any old which way and you'll get the floor clean. No, that's not how it works. It takes work and effort to really mop. And few people actually know how to mop, I think. You put that into the water and you drain it out, but you've got to leave some in there. And so that you have some, some uh, water to work with and you're cleaner and you're, you're moving that along on the floor in a, in a figure eight fashion, moving along the edges. But every once in a while you come across a spot that's just a little bit tough, you know. And so you've got to bear down on that mop and work it back and forth, going forward, coming backward, working forward, coming backward. And you don't want to get one of those, those green pads or Brillo pads to get down there and try to get that spot out like that. That might be quicker, but when you get done, you're going to realize you ruined your floor. You ruined your polish and your shine on there. So you get that mop and you're just bearing down on it. And then you you work at it and then you'll get that thing off of there. When you get it off, then you come back and you do another figure eight, you know. And you get that done. That's work. That takes effort. I remember watching my mom when I was just a little guy doing laundry the old-fashioned way. With one of the wash tubs, you know, that stood on, on, on legs. And then another uh, tub there with a, with a ringer. And when, you, when mom, mom worked on those clothes, sometimes with a stain, she really had to bear down on them. Like my, my jeans that I'd gotten grass stains on them, gotten a whipping for. You know, and she's cleaning that up. And then she's putting that through that ringer, you know. And, and she had an electrical one. But uh, she did have an old one that had a crank. But, and that bears down on the clothing and, and wrings them out. That's work, that's effort, that's machinery that replaces what used to take physical strength to do. 
Folks, do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, it's not just a casual thing for me. Paul is saying, I'm not just, you know, taking a little stroll through the park, you know, and looking at the foliage as I walk through the world with Jesus and saying, Lord, it sure is beautiful, and I'm so thankful to be saved. No, he's saying, you're in a race, and you should be thankful for those things. And I love the foliage in the fall, but we are pressing toward a mark. You say, what is that? Our Christian service, our prize, we're pressing toward it. It ought to take effort effort to press toward the mark. You know, I think mothers are a beautiful picture of what it means to really press into the lives of others. Dads are too. Hard-working dads and raising a family and sacrificing, spending a lot of time away from family. And they keep pressing toward payday and bills needing to be paid. And those are good things, but we need to translate that into our Christian life. And don't forget that in your Christian life, it takes effort. You cannot just coast along. You cannot just stroll along. This is not leisurely. This is not casual. Paul said it's like a race. And it's like a runner who is determined to run that race well and to finish. What are we running for? Well, in verse 14, we're running for a prize. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Now, do not mistake uh, what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that we run for the prize of salvation. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we are running for the prize of sanctification. He's talking about the Christian life. Paul said, I'm not perfect. I'm not done yet. Paul said, I am very much in the Christian race at this time. And that's the same thing we should say. I'm not done yet. I have not learned it all. I have not attained it all. I am very much in this Christian race of the Christian life. And my prize is sanctification. You say, what's sanctification? It simply means to be made like Christ. It's the same thing as Christian growth. When we're talking about it in this sense of the Christian life. It means God is more and more setting you apart from who you used to be and setting you apart unto Himself. And through Christ, He's going to accomplish a change in your life. Christian growth. And He's going to make you more and more like Christ. And you will not attain in this life. But one day, at the resurrection, you will be done. You will be complete. It's not salvation. It's sanctification. Some people look at salvation like it's a reward. In this case here, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize. Don't you know that the prize is a reward? At the end of the race, you know, they'd have the runners uh, stand up on the Bema seat. They have the judges sitting on the Bema seat of judgment and the runners before them. And they would award them prizes, a laurel wreath to put on their head. And the the official of the game sitting upon his Bema, his judgment seat, giving out those prizes, which they earned by their diligence, their effort, a life of preparation for that and diligence. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation, eternal life, is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about the reward that comes when we see Jesus and at the judgment seat of Christ, we are rewarded for our efforts here, our work. What we do. We're not saved by our works. We're saved for works. 
to do works. And salvation is something different. That's not what Paul is talking about. Just so you see it real quick, look at Romans chapter 4. Go to the left. Turn over to Romans chapter 4. Just want you to see this. I just want to keep hammering this. You say, why do you keep hammering this? Well, just this morning, I was leaving that very expensive hotel room down in uh, Moorhead, Kentucky. Uh, And I thought, I'm going to make sure I grab some of this continental breakfast on the way out of here and get all I can, you know. Got a cup of coffee and... and, uh, and as I was, uh, there was a lady who had been sitting there, and she was watching the television. And on the television, they had a preacher. And this preacher was a Seventh-day Adventist preacher. And he's giving a false gospel for everybody to hear. There wasn't anybody in there at the time but me and this lady. And then she left, but the, 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 the hostess is out there, and she's, she can hear it. And anybody who comes in there can hear it. And he's talking about how you have to continue on living a righteous life, and continue on following the commands of the Bible. And when you get to the end of your life, and if you die in faith, obedient, then you will go to heaven. That is another gospel. That is a lie from the devil. You cannot just trust any preacher that you see on the television set. So do you see why we keep on emphasizing this? Okay, uh, We are not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works, to do good works. But they in no way keep us saved. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 4. Now to him, Paul is making a, a conclusion. He's bringing it all together. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. Somebody tell me what grace means. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Both of those are good. It's, it's free forgiveness. Uh, unmerited. You don't deserve it. Undeserved uh, favor. Okay? Uh, is the reward not reckoned of grace if you're trying to work for it, but of debt? In other words, if I get a job and I start working for an employer at the end of the pay period, whether it be a day or a week or two weeks... I can say to that employer, you owe me. I gave you my time and whatever else. And now it's time for me and I expect a reward. It's of debt. If you have employees underneath you and you work them, you are indebted to them. You owe them. And that's not salvation. Paul said it's not to him that worketh. No, that's a reward and debt situation. But it's of grace. It's reckoned of grace. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for unrighteousness. So you see, I know we keep saying it over and over again, but you, some people think salvation is this. It's you repent And put your trust in Jesus Christ and then you'll be saved. And by repentance they mean this. You reform your life. And so people have the idea, I'm not going to come to that church down there even though somebody invited me because I'm not ready yet. And I think if I try to live it now, I'll fail. They're under the mistaken notion that they have to reform their life. In other words, I've got to turn over a new, new leaf. Or I've got to clean up my life before I come into that church and start hearing about Jesus. Otherwise I'm a big old hypocrite. That's the way they think. Because they think that salvation is something that you work for and it's a reward. That's not salvation, and that's not repentance. Repentance, when it comes to the gospel, is a change of mind. 
Yes, you're going one direction, you get saved, you start going another direction. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. But, but it is not, I will clean up my life, and if I clean up my life enough in my lifetime, then God will let me go to heaven. That's not salvation. That's works. That is a false gospel. Paul said, I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which comes by faith. Let's look back at Philippians and we'll come to our conclusion. Paul said, I'm running for a prize. Do you have your eyes set on the prize? Do you think about your Christian life like that? Do you think about what it's going to be like when you see Jesus and you give an account for your life of the good works that you've done or the bad works that you've done? The things that you've done, whether good or evil, not your sins, your sins were judged at Calvary, but your works. Do you think about that? You think, I wonder what I have to show for. I wonder if any of it will make it through the fires of the judgment seat of Christ, because we'll be tried by fire. I wonder if anybody, I wonder if I got anything in there. And uh, we ought to be thinking about it like that, running for that prize. And we want to think about it like this. The prize is this. I think you and I will, will be, I think we'll be surprised with the way things turn out at the judgment seat of Christ. But I think what we, what we will want to hear more than anything else is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now that's not just handed out to everybody. You do not get a prize for participation. That well done is for somebody who was a good and faithful Servant. So somebody says, well, you, you preachers who preach that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from any kind of meritorious works, you think that people can just live however they want. No, first of all, that is the true gospel, and you are eternally saved when you get saved. Eternal security is the gospel, but I don't believe you can live any way you want to. I believe that you're going to give an account of your life. Now think of that. What if the Lord came back right now and, he, and you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar? And uh, you'd have to give an account for that. Notice lastly, this prize is, is a person. Is a person. We're going to give an account to him. You know, <clears throat> like I said, some might hope to delay his coming and here's the thing, is that you can set your, your life in order now. Maybe you've gotten off of the track. Maybe, maybe you're no longer running the race. Maybe you're sitting out. Maybe, uh, maybe you think that I can just be saved and, and just go to church. What is that language? That doesn't come from the Bible. We don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. And we exist for one purpose to see that people get saved and that God is glorified that's why we exist and folks if we keep at it as a church we did we just recently we were at it trying to go after souls for Jesus Christ and God gave us fruit for our labor it was uh, it was it was uh, Sherry who told Pam about Tim who told me and told uh, brother Keith and we all worked on him. All of us, all four of us together worked on him, didn't we? And the Lord 
sent in Keith there at the end, and Keith led him to Christ to make sure that he, that he knew that he knew that he knew he was saved. And he bowed his head and he got it settled. Praise God. Now let's go after another one. And let's try to disciple him too. Amen? Now that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I, I, you know, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. If we want to be successful in this business of bringing souls to Christ for salvation, it takes work. But it's a good work. And we'll give an account for these works. But I think there's a lot of folks just think, well, I just, all I just do is just go to church. That's not even in the Bible. How do you think you're going to fare at the judgment seat of Christ with that? Yes, I want you to be faithful, but we are the church. We are the church, and, and there's a lot of things we can do. Yes, us right here, this church right here, right now, this week, there's a lot of things we can do. But you know, some people stop serving the Lord because they don't feel like it. What if, what if Beth just didn't take Lucas to the ER last night because she didn't feel like it? That was a, uh, you know, that, that could be fatal, what's going on with Lucas. If it's blockage, that's fatal to a five-year-old. What if Beth just didn't care and just said, I just don't feel like it? She didn't feel like it. She didn't. She slept like three hours last night. And I didn't sleep much more. But what if I just didn't come here and preach this morning because I didn't feel like it? What if moms just didn't get up and clean the house and cook and take kids to school and help them with their homework because they didn't feel like it. What would happen to us? What if dads just didn't go to work because they just, you know, we do those things and we don't feel like it oftentimes, right? What I'm trying to encourage you to do this morning is don't stop reading your Bible. You say, I don't feel like it. I'm not getting anything from it. I'm not feeling it. Don't stop reading your Bible. Read your Bible every day whether you feel like it or you don't. Don't stop praying just because you don't feel like praying. Keep on praying. Pray through till you feel it again. Don't stop witnessing to people just because you don't feel like witnessing to people. Because oftentimes, listen, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't feel like witnessing to people. But guess what? We do it anyways because we're adults. And we're grown, mature Christians. And we know that you do things whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. Don't stop coming to church just because you don't feel like it. Now, God knows if you're providentially hindered. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But don't stop coming to church and, and serving the Lord in that way just because you don't. And don't stop being the church just because you don't feel like it. Because guess what? There's going to come a time, the grass withers, the flower fades, and there will be a time when our lives, our little short lives are over. And we'll be glad that we just kept on pressing ahead through all those pains of running the race. And let me tell you this before we stop. Even when things don't turn out the way that we want them to in the ministry, don't stop serving the Lord. Don't stop. I look forward to the next time that we can come and rejoice that someone has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't want to quit. 
I don't want to quit on the Lord just because things haven't gone the way that I wanted them to. And I'll, I'll say this as, as we close, folks. Beth and I are, are uh, finally receiving clarity on what we're doing. And what we're doing is just what we've, con- what we've been doing. What we're called to do is I'm called to pastor. And then from time to time, because I can sing uh, a little bit, and Beth's a better singer than I, I am, and I can play guitar, from time to time people invite us out to do music for their meetings. Sometimes I'll be asked to go and preach. And that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to pastor, Lord willing, I'm going to stay in the race. I'm going to pastor, and I'm going to use the the gifts that I have and use all of them. And I'm going to have this ministry of music and preaching occasionally. But as a pastor, probably once a year to go and preach somewhere on a Sunday is is all that a church can uh, be asked to uh, give and 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 with my family going out and twice a month would be would if I do anything more than that it would be too much for Beth and for Lucas and with their schedule so that's where I'm at right now I'll, I'll receive invitations a couple times a month to go out and do music during weeknights and maybe once in a while if somebody calls for me to come and preach I'm going to go preach uh, but I won't make a habit of that so that's where we are and I don't want anybody to worry anymore. I've caused enough unrest. We're not leaving. We're here. And uh, we, be all in, wherever you are. That's what I've tried to live by. It's not easy to, 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 to discern God's will. It's not easy. Uh, it's tough. But wherever you are, put your roots down. If you're here, if you consider this to be your home church, put your roots down. And be all here and serve the Lord because the night's coming when no man can work. And life's little day will soon be over. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Would you stand with me please as we seal this message in a word of prayer. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed with the saints praying. I said this morning, with no one looking around this morning, I said that salvation is not a reward. We don't run for the prize of being saved. Salvation is a one-time deal when you hear the gospel and you are sorry for your sins, you realize that you're on your way to a devil's hell, and you realize that Jesus is an all-sufficient, mighty Savior who is able to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. Because He died for your sins on the cross. He was buried He rose again the third day, proving his claims, proving that the Father accepted his sacrifice. If there was one sin that he couldn't pay for, he couldn't have come up from the grave. You know that? But he paid for all your sins, for all of my sins. What are you trusting right now, this very moment, for the forgiveness of sins and for eternal life? Are you trusting in Christ alone 100%? No one looking around. Can you answer this question in the affirmative? Preacher, I am 100% sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm I'm 100% sure. I've got it settled. Thank God. I have peace with God. I have it settled. I know that I know that I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Are you able to say that? Or is there some doubt? Would you say, preacher, I'm not sure. I've never... 
personally accepted Jesus as my own Savior, and right now I'm not saved. If I were to die right now, I'd die lost. If that's you, you say, Preacher, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I'd like you to pray with me. I'd like you to talk with me after the service. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I won't come get you. I won't embarrass you. We can talk after the service. Preacher, I'm not saved. Would you raise your hand? All right. We're going to have a word of prayer. For those of us here that we know that we're saved, praise God for that. We're saved, but we're saved to serve. We're saved to be good and faithful servants. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message today. Lord, we need to be busy working. Lord, sometimes we don't feel like it. And you know that. You know the weaknesses of our flesh. But Father, we, we do things, whether we feel like it or not, because they're right to do and they're, they're necessary. And all these things that we've talked about, Lord, today, they are necessary. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for giving us assurance of, of salvation. Father, if there be one here today that is not saved and just didn't want to deal with it today, Father, I pray that you continue to deal with that heart. And that, Father, that they'd not be able to have peace when they, they lay their head down upon the pillow without getting out of their bed and kneeling uh, down on a, on a knee and, and uh, confessing their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness and asking Jesus to come into their hearts. And Lord, I pray for us as a church. Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've done to cause unrest. And uh, Lord, the sheep like still waters, and I've troubled the waters. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me of that. I pray, I pray Father, that these folks here would also uh, be forgiving and, and uh, be in prayer for me, Lord. And I pray for our church. Lord, there's a, the, all these souls here are precious to you, and we have a work to do. We have plenty to keep us busy. I pray that you'd help us to do that. And Lord, be with those that are not able to be here today. And uh, God, bless them where they are. Encourage them. Cheer their hearts. Be with uh, Janice this morning, Father, and her family. And I pray that you'd make this time, Lord, a time when you're closer to her maybe than you've ever been in, in her entire life. Make your presence very real and known to her. And God, I pray that you'd be with these as we, as we depart and as we're dismissed, Father, and uh, help us. Lead us and guide us in your perfect will. Show us how we can serve you. And uh, Lord, we look forward to one day seeing you and hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are dismissed.